CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Well, good afternoon here on this Monday, and welcome to To Every Man and Answer, as we start yet another week of answering your questions on the Bible and the Christian faith. And I am not Mike Kessler. My name is Scott Parker. I am the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Festus, Missouri, and it has been about a month since I have been on the air with you all here on To Every Man and Answer, as I've been doing some traveling and just getting back from a mission trip, and then in a couple of weeks, getting ready to head out to the nation of Israel to do a tour of the Holy Land. But as for this Monday, it's great to be with you here on To Every Man and Answer today. And with me today is the director of the Center for Biblical Worldview for the Family Research Council, which is located in Washington, Washington D.C., and that is David Clawson. So, David, great to be with you today. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, Pastor Scott, it's great to be with you on To Every Man and Answer. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's it's great to have you. And uh, real quick before we uh, before we discuss something here, let me give you let me give our listeners the phone number if you have a question today uh, on the Bible, on the Christian faith, maybe on current events, what's going on in our world, and especially since David specializes in dealing with biblical worldview. Uh, this would be a great time to call in and ask questions that have to do with living the Christian life and having a Christian perspective in this world we live in. You can give us a call. The number is 8888-ASK-CSN. That's 8888-ASK-CSN, and that translates out to 888-827-5276. 888-827-5276. And so, David, as we uh, prepare here for our program and and uh, let some calls come in the queue here. Um, what what are what is uh, what is the big thrust right now where you're at in Washington, and especially in the specialty that uh, that you minister in in biblical worldview here in our country? What is it right now that you are dealing with, and that uh, could be of help to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely, Scott. Um, you know, I think most people who are kind of tuning in to the midterm elections know we're just a couple of weeks out right now. And, and so a lot of what I'm doing right now is uh, following what candidates are saying and following some of these races and, and just trying to think through biblically the issues, you know, family research council next year will mark our 40th uh, year uh, of serving here in our nation's capital. And while FRCs always come at issues uh, from the Bible through the lens of a biblical worldview, about a year and a half ago, we decided we want to be even more intentional, uh, which is why we launched our Center for Biblical Worldview. And so although I deal regularly with current events and political issues, first and foremost, I want to help come alongside pastors uh, and just a regular uh, Bible-loving, Bible-believing Christian people and to think through all of these issues through the lens of God's Word and so right now, there is no shortage of material to think through, uh, whether it's the, the race in Pennsylvania, where that candidate's being accused of Christian nationalism, 
or the the Senate candidate down in Georgia who's running on a platform of being a pro-choice pastor. Uh, there are a lot of issues that require the absolute best of Christian thinking and, and faithfulness. And so that's what we're doing here at FRC. Um, if anyone's interested in this kind of stuff, uh, frc.org forward slash worldview is the place you can find our resources. But again, uh, we're just trying to help people think faithfully through all the issues uh, that are going on right now in the public square. And again, there is no shortage of things to think through. Yes, exactly. And and David, let me say too, um, you know, as a pastor, I have attended events put on by um, by the FRC, or yeah, the Family Research Council. <laughs> Make sure I had the, the letters right there. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, and, and have met Tony personally and uh, have been so blessed at the encouragement uh, that your ministry gives. And uh, like you're saying, not only to believers, but also to pastors, um, mm-hmm. you know, helping equip pastors to be able to pastor and lead effectively in this crazy world that we live in. You know, uh, the America we live in now is not the same America it used to be. And Things just keep on changing, um, but I just want to say thank you to to you and Tony and all the folks there uh, at the FRC for all the work that you do uh, in standing for faith and freedom and and uh, helping of all of us out uh, to uh, you know kind of help navigate us through uh, this difficult time that we live in. And um, because you know what we want to do is uh, you know we're we're in the world, but we're not of it. But yet we can't isolate from it. We've we've got to be effective, and we've got to know how to minister in this world, don't we? Yeah, yeah, we do. One of the things I always return to is, you know, Augustine. He famously talked about how we're citizens of the city of God and the city of man. And so, of course, as believers, uh, we know that we are pilgrims uh, in this life and in this world. And so, ultimately, we have our set, uh, our hope set on heaven. Uh, but we also know that we're to be uh, citizens and we're to be faithful where God's planted us. You know, one of the verses I always go to, Scott, when I'm thinking about a believer's responsibility to engage in politics is the second great commandment. You know, first is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a small C conservative. I want the government to be small, but I recognize that government now has its tentacles on almost everything, you know, our basic rights and liberties and I think Christians need to think about, can we really say that we really love our neighbors in a holistic way uh, if we're not engaging in something that really does impact us on so many levels? And so, again, I, I think we need to be kingdom minded. Uh, but being kingdom minded, I think, also entails uh, that we engage uh, in the public square. Because, again, some of these issues, Scott, and you know this as a pastor, they're not first and foremost political issues. They're actually theological and moral issues. Yeah, Obviously, the issue of human right. life, that's. Sure, it's a political issue, but first and foremost, that's an issue where there's a thus saith the Lord. And as Christians, uh, out of obedience to Christ, uh, we need to stand up and uh, engage on that issue for sure. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, David, you just said something so key right there. You know, the, these these issues that, that Christians make a big deal of, uh, you know, these aren't, like you said, these aren't political issues. These, these are issues that have to do with what God has put in his word concerning how he has created us, how he has made the world to function, how he wants us as believers to believe, and then, of course, how we believe is how we're going to live. You know, belief always determines behavior. And yeah. um, and all these hot-button issues in our society today is, is not because we as Christians are trying to be killjoys and we're just trying to 
you know, sap the fun out of the world, what we're doing is we're looking at these issues and saying, no, uh, like you said, these are moral issues because these are issues that have to do with how God has instructed us how to live um, because of the way he's made everything. And uh, it's so important, uh, you know, for us to understand that and to deal with things on that level, you know, and um, Mm -hmm. so... Yeah, it's just so important. So, David, thank you so much for being on today. And again, if any of our listeners, you've got questions concerning uh, any of these kind of issues uh, concerning, um, you know, living the Christian life and in, in the in the society we're in, or you know, we've got we've got the midterm elections coming up. Uh, if you got questions about voting as a believer, you know, I, I uh, David, as a pastor, you know, I I don't tell people. Uh, who to vote for, uh, but I do tell my people how to vote. I do, and what I mean by that is I tell them that they need to take, you know, the, their convictions and 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 what they know true of the Word of God with them into the voting booth whenever they're voting, and to educate themselves. You know, we do our best at our church to educate, uh, you know, our folks on the issues that are being voted on, on the candidates who are running. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we encourage them to, to get educated on those things, um, but to let the scriptures and what God has said to us be the guide. Um, and you know what? I really believe, uh, David, that if, 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 if Christians really took serious the stewardship that God has given to us of living in this wonderful nation, and we, we are stewards of the freedom that he's allowed us to have, and uh, we're responsible for that. And I think if every Christian would take that seriously and go vote, and not just go vote, but go vote according to what God says in his word, I think this country would turn around on a dime, and the blessing of God would come back, and it would, it would, it would change just like that, don't you? No, I agree with you, Pastor Scott. And I think it's important to realize, you know, there's a lot of issues where the Bible doesn't speak. And that, you know, I think there, especially, you know, I'm 31 years old, so I'm a millennial and there's folks that are my age and there's uh, the, the next upcoming generation, Generation Z. And I think those of us who are my age, I've, I've heard it, you know, uh, they, they kind of saw some of the tactics maybe of, of the moral majority, which of course I think did a lot of good, uh, but think, oh man, you know, we don't want to, uh, we, we want to do the gospel work. We, we don't want to do politics. And, you know, when I have those conversations, I, I try to say, sure, there are a whole lot of issues that the Bible doesn't speak to. Um, I, if there's anyone who comes to you and says, you know, it's necessarily more biblical to let 50,000 immigrants in versus 70,000 immigrants in, you know, we should never, ever try to twist uh, scripture to fit in a political agenda we have. Uh, but what we should do is look at God's word from cover to cover. If there are issues uh, that the Bible speaks clearly to, those are issues we should speak clearly to. So issues related to the family, uh, issues related to sexuality, uh, marriage, uh, life. Again, those are issues where the Bible is not silent. We don't have to guess uh, what God thinks about those issues. And so I agree with you, Pastor Scott. I think if if folks took seriously God's word in the political world, uh, our nation would look a lot different. In the same way, I think there's a lot of Christians who, if they took the Bible seriously and applied it to their lives, their own personal lives would look a lot different. Their churches would look a lot different. Their communities would look a lot different. So it's not just in politics. I think all of us as believers, if we w- w- say that we're Christians, if we say we follow God, 
my goodness, it's important to be in his word. Um, cause that, again, God didn't have to give us his word, but he did. He's graciously revealed himself to us, uh, given us his truth. And man, we need to be in that word and we need to be applying it to our lives. And if we do that, I think our lives and the lives of uh, folks in our community and ultimately nation would look a lot different. Yeah, they sure would. <laughs> and that's, and that's, uh, as, as leaders in the church, that's our, uh, that's our uh, mandate from the Lord is to be that example first and to lead the flock, you know, as Paul told Timothy, be an example of the believer and to the believer and mm-hmm. uh, and to, uh, you know, not only teach them, but uh, also teaching them in, in our behavior and the way we live. And and uh, you're exactly right. When the church lives as it should, then things are going to change. So, well, let's go ahead and go to the phone lines. We have some calls right now. And so we've got Darlene on the line, Darlene from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Darlene, welcome to an answer. Oh, thank you for having me. So um, I'm driving. Uh, I was reading in Jude verse 9, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So the whole thing, I just, I can't find it anywhere else. I don't know what he's actually talking about. What did he do with Moses' body? Um, I just can't find any information on it anywhere. Okay. Well, Darlene, that is a great question. That is a very peculiar uh, verse of scripture, you know, in a, in a very small book um, that is uh, very peculiar in itself, uh, but very fitting for our day, um, as Jude deals with false prophets and false teachers and those trying to crawl, you know, come into the church and uh, lead people astray. So, David, what what about this verse? What do you think Jude is trying to communicate to us through verse nine? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm glad I brought my Bible with me, Darlene, to, to take a look at the question. I think we should read uh, read that verse and maybe read, uh, read it in context and then take a look at it. So Jude, starting in verse 80, says, Yet in like manner these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Uh, then it goes on to say, but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are all destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand um, instinctively. So there is a lot of um, discussion among scholars on this. Um, most evidence points to the fact that um, Jude has in mind this apocryphal work called the Assumption of Moses, uh, so this would have been a Jews, Jewish writing. So just kind of as I just read it in context, context, it's about this confrontation between the archangel uh, Michael and the devil over the possession of the body of Moses. And I, I think as usually interpreted, uh, I think Jude's main point here is kind of is that the rash talk of uh, false teachers, um, you know, te- false teachers are known uh, for their rash talk, not thinking, just kind of saying stuff. 
Um, it really contrasts with maybe the more temperate uh, talk of the Archangel Michael. Um, so I think, and, and then uh, others, other interpreters will say um, that maybe Michael's appealing to God's authority, while the false teachers are appealing to their own authority. And so again, it's a it's a peculiar text, but I think the overall point that we're supposed to take out of it is, is that these teachers uh, that Jude's talking about, that he has in view, they are false teachers uh, that should not be listened to. They should not be followed. They should not be obeyed. And so in this, this book called The Assumption of Moses, unlike uh, Michael, who is uh, more orderly and more temperate, um, we should not, we should follow more of that example rather than being rash and hasty in our judgments, uh, such as the false teachers are. So I think in some, I'm trying to summarize a lot of scholarship right there. Um, I think that is what most scholars say is the application of that passage. Yeah, that's great, David. And, you know, Darlene, it's interesting because when you look at that, uh, you know, the context of it, uh, as David read it to us, what's interesting is it's talking about those that reject authority. And that's exactly what false teachers and false prophets and those those who are trying to get into the church in order to lead believers astray, that's what they're going to do. They're always going to circumvent somehow uh, or discredit the leadership that God has placed in a church or in a ministry like that. And um, and so it's given us this idea um, that this is what these people do. And really that that is, as David said, really that's the context there is not being like those who reject God-given authority. Um, now the whole the whole issue about the body of Moses and uh, and 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 Michael uh, as they contend over the body of Moses and, uh, and and all of that it's really interesting because when you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 34 why that's even an issue is because in Deuteronomy 34 it tells us that it says so Moses the servant of the Lord died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. Then it says, and he buried him in in a valley in the land of Moab over against Beth Peor, but no one, no man knows uh, his tomb or his where's where he's buried at to this day. And so uh, this is this is the whole issue is is uh, you know where was Mo- Moses buried? Nobody knows where he was buried. Um, if you remember in in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus or Moses shows up. Um, with Jesus and Elijah there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, so even though Moses was not permitted to come into the Promised Land and lead the people in, Joshua would do that, and he died and he was buried. Uh, some people believe that it was you know the Lord who actually buried him in this place, but it's, it's, it's not known. And um, so it's interesting because, um, because of all the mysteries surrounding uh, Moses' burial, um, that's why we come to that scripture, and some people um, look at that and say, you know, um, as the devil was contending uh, with Michael concerning Moses' body, was, was Satan trying to uh, do something, you know, with Moses' body? It, it's interesting, and why would that be an issue? Well, number one, you know, in the Old Testament, there is the doctrine of resurrection, that that we are going to be resurrected uh, one day, um, you know, when the Lord returns. 
And uh, so that's an issue because the, the doctrine of the resurrection is in the Old Testament, just like it is in the New Testament. Uh, it's not just a, quote, Christian belief. It, it's founded in the Old Testament. Uh, Jews believed in the resurrection of the body. And then also it's interesting because when you come to the book of Revelation, chapter 11, um, you know, there's two witnesses that the Lord sends. And it's, it's interesting because some Bible scholars and Bible teachers believe that those two witnesses are going to be Moses and Elijah. Now, do we know that for sure? Not for sure, but when you see what these two witnesses do and the power of the Lord gives them, they're very reminiscent. The language is very reminiscent of Moses and Elijah. And so, uh, you know, is the Lord going to send back in the future Moses and Elijah, you know, during the tribulation period to, to be a witness of God's truth? He could. Is that one of the reasons why, you know, Satan, the body of Moses, is to, you know, is to somehow circumvent God's plans for the future? I mean, there's all these questions we could have and different points we could bring up. Uh, but, you know, uh, but, the, but the whole issue concerning, you know, the body of Moses goes back to his burial and the mystery there with his burial. And then uh, as we look and see um, Moses mentioned or at least alluded to maybe in the New Testament, um, maybe this is why Satan was uh, contending with uh, Michael so much was to try to get a hold of the body of Moses. But, you know, who knows really? But uh, the, the point, um, as David said, the whole point here is that we don't become like these people um, you know, who reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. And, and uh, really that's the, the, the main teaching in that part of that, uh, that book there. So anyhow, does that help out at all? It does, but that's the, the, probably the most confusing verse I've ever read. And I read it four times and did, like Pastor Mike said, go ahead of it and behind it by 20 verses. And I still, I'm like, wait, I still don't get yeah. this. And so is the assumption of Moses... Uh, is that an actual book a person could acquire, or David? Yeah, um, my understanding. Yes, it is. It's um, it's a Jewish apocryphal book, uh, so it, you could probably uh, do a Google search and, and find it. Um, you know, the other day I was at, which, which is a fine thing to do. I think you know, especially some Protestants, you know, they'll pick up maybe a, a Bible for, that they get at a Catholic church and don't want to should I read the books in between the, the Apocrypha? Um, and I think, yes, um, you know, as Protestants, we would say some of these extra books um, are maybe not, they're, they're, we would definitely say uh, they're not inspired by the Holy Spirit. They're not authoritative in the same way that the 66 books of the Old and New Testament are. Uh, but there are other books that provide context uh, to the ancient Near East, uh, to the first century, uh, to that intertestamental period. And so uh, I think you could probably Google um, the assumption of Moses and, and read the text. Um, I think my understanding, I just pulled the study Bible uh, up while Pastor Scott was talking, and uh, there are some fragments that have survived. Um, and so I'm sure whatever, whatever scholars and whatever archaeologists have been able to find uh, would be available online so somewhere. But I, it, it does appear that probably the whole book has not survived. Uh, maybe what Jude had in mind, what he was quoting, uh, and what was in, what he was thinking about. Maybe the entire book hasn't survived, but whatever survived, I'm sure, would be available uh, with an internet search. Yeah, and and Darlene, it's and as David said, it's very important to understand that you know the 66 books that we have in our Bible are inspired by God. That that's what gives us 
you know, our, our standard for what we believe, what we practice. Um, but these other books can give some historical and uh, some, some background uh, to, as he said, the way people in the first century thought. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. We see the same thing with Paul. Uh, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, when Paul wrote, or I'm sorry, when when Paul was preaching in Athens to the to the Greeks, mm-hmm. uh, Luke records this, and also when when Paul uh, was writing to the young pastor Titus, in all of those books, Paul actually quotes pagan Greek philosophers uh, of their day, or at least people who existed before their time that they looked at as authority, and they looked at um, you know as as a source of truth, and Paul quoted them not to say, hey, you need to follow these guys and their teachings, but anything that they said that was consistent with God's Word that would help Paul make a connection to, to, to the Greeks who had that Greek mindset, um, he, he used their own prophets and poets and quoted them uh, to be able to connect with his audience and to bring the truth of Scripture so, you know, it's, it's not just there, it's other places in our New Testament, but um, we do have to, you know, to understand that, that um, though those portions are in our Bible like that, what we, what we uh, count on and what we live by is, is, is the 66 books of the Bible, and that's important to understand. And, and so, anyhow, we hope that helps out, Darlene. If you would, hang on the line. I'm sure the folks there at CSN have some goodies they would like to give you, some books and DVDs and some things to share with you. And uh, we've got just a couple. Well, we've got one more minute before the break, but let's go ahead and go to Abby. She's in Virginia. Abby, how can we help you today? Welcome to Every Man and Answer. Hi. Thanks for taking my question. Um, so I'm pro-life. I believe that the Bible is clear on the issue of life. However, some pastors, including Senator Warnock, uh, argue that you can be pro-choice and a Christian. My question is, what is the best way to address that biblically and push back on pastors who hold this view? Okay. David, we got 30 seconds before the break. I'm going to go ahead and give this to you, and then uh, I may have to cut you off, but we're going to come back after the break and talk about this more. So, David? Yeah. Well, Abby, that's a terrific question, and uh, good to hear that you're pro-life and trying to ask what the Bible says on this in short, a pro-choice pastor is an oxymoron. Uh, the, the Bible is clear on this issue from Old Testament to New Testament. It affirms the personhood of the unborn. Psalm 139, Luke 1, calling of Jeremiah, a whole host of text uh, that we could talk about later. Uh, but you are right to be uh, on the alert that what Warnock is saying is not faithful to Scripture. Exactly. Abby, hold on. We'll be right back after the break, and we'll uh, talk about this issue some more. God bless you. Let's see. If something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save the typical family 500 bucks a month, and that's huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied After making the switch to the customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. 
Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want a plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. A very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. CSN International, where God's Word is heard. We broadcast on almost 400 stations nationwide, including multiple stations in Idaho. You can listen in great cities like Twin Falls, Boise, Cascade, Ketchum, and many more great cities throughout Idaho. Get a full station list or listen anywhere in the world at csnradio.com. CSN, the Christian Satellite Network. In these days of financial instability, we as Christians need to pull together to make sure the gospel of Jesus Christ is spread throughout the world. Here at CSN, we are a listener-supported ministry and need your help. If you have been blessed by what you hear on the radio, please send us a tax-deductible donation to Post Office Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, zip code 83303. Again, that is P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. Or go online to csnradio.com. Help us as we continue to spread the gospel. Welcome back to Monday's edition of To Every Man an Answer. I'm Scott Parker. I'm the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Festus, Missouri. That is near the great city of St. Louis. And joining me today as our special guest is David Clausen. He is the director of the Center for Biblical Worldview at the Family Research Council in Washington, D.C., and it's so great to have you on with us today, David. Thank you, for, thank you so much for taking your time to help us answer these questions. And right now on the line, we right before the break, we were talking with Abby from uh, Virginia, and she was asking questions here, asking a question about um, pastors who say that they are pro-choice and pro-abortion, and how can that be? And, of course, I loved... Uh, David's answer right off the bat, it's an oxymoron. You, you can't be both, I mean, and not be a biblical pastor, right, right, David? Yeah, that's correct. And um, just a couple of verses, because I think um, Abby brings up something, uh, Pastor Scott, that I, I think all Christians uh, should be aware of. Because I, I've talked, I get to travel around the country and talk to a lot of folks and on on this question of you know what the Bible says about life, I think a lot of Christians are familiar with Psalm 139. Maybe they don't know the number, uh, but they'll they'll know the phrase like, oh well, the Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and uh, that's so true. Praise God for that text. Uh, but then you, if you push a lot of Christians, what else does the Bible say? Um, I think unfortunately, just because biblical literacy is so low nowadays, um, a lot of folks don't know what else to do, and so. If I can, let me just give um, a couple more verses um, uh, that folks like Abby and others c- could go to. Um, Jeremiah 1, uh, verses 4 through 5. Um, just listen to what, what, what God's word says. This is Jeremiah the prophet. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And this is Jeremiah talking about himself in utero. This is what God's saying. Before he was born, he was consecrated. He was uh, formed. He was appointed. Um, same thing in Isaiah 49.1. The Lord called me from the womb. 
from the body of my mother, he named my name. And then let me just give you one text from the New Testament, Luke chapter 1, uh, right around verse 39. It's a, that interaction that Mary has with Elizabeth. So we know that Mary's just been told by the angel that she's going to be with child. She goes and visits her relative Elizabeth, who's also pregnant with John the Baptist. And in that interaction they have, I think it's one of the most profound pro-life um, exchanges in all of God's word, uh, where Elizabeth says, why is the mother of my Lord uh, coming to see me or something to that effect? But notice what she does there. She calls Mary a mother uh, when Mary's only a couple weeks in utero, and she calls Jesus, who's just, again, a couple weeks in utero, my Lord. And also in her own womb, John the Baptist leaps for joy. And, and we know John's purpose in life was to herald the way of the Messiah. And so he's actually beginning to fulfill his role before he's even born. Um, I've actually written, uh, there's a free resource at FRC's website, uh, frc.org forward slash unborn. Uh, that pa- uh, unpacks these verses and more. And so anyone that's listening, uh, check that out. It's, again, free resource on there. Um, but, again, Abby, uh, such a good question, and it's important just to remember uh, that God's word is pro-life from cover to cover, and anyone, even if they call themselves a pastor uh, who says otherwise, um, in my view, I know it sounds strong, but I think that in many ways is a wolf in sheep's clothing if you use God's word uh, to justify uh, the killing of unborn children. Yep, I totally agree, David. That was so well put. Great scriptures there that you backed it up with. And, you know, when it when it comes to this issue, again, you know, that's why I mentioned earlier, you know, <laughs> there's no way a biblical pastor, you know, uh, in the in the biblical sense of the word could could ever be pro-choice. Uh, because like we said earlier, David, it, this this isn't a this isn't a political issue. This is a moral issue that comes from God's word that that tells us, you know, how God has made us, uh, how he forms us. And uh, when we look at the Bible, as you said, the the Bible's pro-life from cover to cover. And uh, this is an an issue we can't get away from. There's no way that we can, uh, you know, that we can um, paint it any other way. And, And, you know, and I know that people try to bring up all these different hypothetical situations, you know, um, what about this particular situation, that particular situation, you know, the one that's always brought up all the time is what about rape and such and all that. Um, but you know what? It, it's all, all the things that people want to argue are the smallest minute percentages of abortions that happen, you know. Um, they're, they're not the majority. Um, and of what we've done in our country we've we've given people you know uh just a a, a reason and a, a, an avenue uh to be able to to uh to as they would say terminate life we would say you know murder um and most of it because of convenience because of our own selfishness that we want our way and um you know it wasn't that it wasn't that long ago in america that um you know, whenever what constituted a family, you know, was was uh, what the Bible says was a husband and a wife, and uh, and then uh, you know children were were the uh, the the product of two people who have who had made their commitment to one another through the exchanging of vows and making promises before God to be faithful to each other uh, and, until death, 
And um, that was what a family was. And, and, and children came out of that union of love and commitment to each other. And uh, I remember just, you know, since I've been a pastor, I've been a pastor 18 years now. And I remember it, just in our country just seeing this shift to where all of a sudden, you know, it became normal. Um, it wasn't normal anymore um, for a family to consist of, you know, a married couple uh, and then having children. It's married couples who live together who have kids already, and, and marriage is not even in, in, in the equation. And because we want to reform what the Bible says, you know, and redef- redefine, should I say, what the Bible says about marriage and, and, uh, and all of that, this is this is what we get, you know. We 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 get to the point to where um, we're willing to commit murder uh, to have our own way, and it's, it's so sad. It's so sad, and 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 to be a pastor or to say you're a pastor and to condone this in any way is just totally unbiblical, totally, you know, ungodly. And um, I agree with you, David. I don't see how a, a person could call themselves a pastor and, and believe in that and and stand for that. So, Abby, does that help you out? Yes, thank you so much for uh, the scripture passages and your your strong stance on life. Oh, well, God bless you, Abby. Thanks so much for calling in. Thanks for the question. And uh, if you would hold on the line, and uh, we have some gifts we want to give to you that will be a blessing to you and edify you in your faith. Let's go ahead and go to Medford, Oregon. We have Bob on the line. Bob, you're on to Every Man and Answer. Oh, thank you. Well, my question is, I'd like to ask you for your opinion on a new teaching called the Course of Heaven, do you believe it's a biblical teaching? Okay. Now, now, Bob, when you when you're talking about the Courts of Heaven, um, you're you're so there, there's two different uh, there's there's two different ways to go with this um, because the Mormons have a belief um, that is defined with that, with, with those, a name that's close to that called the council in heaven. Um, but are you, are you referring to, um, the belief to where, to where the angels, uh, are seen as gods and that they were part of, of, uh, of the council in heaven when God created everything? Is, is that the teaching you're referring to? No, no, this isn't anything to do with Mormonism. It's uh, Christians, are, are, uh, I don't have all the facts on it, but they petition God, they go in in prayer into God's courtroom, and and legally they present their case, and then uh, it just doesn't seem biblical to me. Yeah, well, no, that's not. And (laughs) so there's, there's also what I was just mentioning a moment ago, um, there is a, uh, a theologian who lately has made very popular uh, this teaching about this council in heaven and the courts of heaven um, where um, the angels, because in, because in the Bible angels um, in the Old Testament are referred to as Elohim, which is a word for God. It's, it's, in fact, it's the word that is used for God in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Um, you know, in the beginning, God or Elohim created the heavens and the earth, and because angels are uh, sometimes given that title or identified in Hebrew by that title, uh, they come up with this whole teaching uh, that it wasn't. It's not just the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in heaven creating everything and and ruling and reigning in heaven, but there's also this council with Him, and it, it that that gets 
in my opinion, when I look at Scripture, it gets terribly unbiblical. Now, what you're talking about, I don't see any, any biblical precedent for that at all. Um, you know, the, the court in heaven is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, God is the judge, you know. Um, it, for us as believers, you know, Jesus is our attorney. <laughs> he's, our, he's our defense attorney. He's our go-between. He's our mediator between us and God, you know. And because of that, because Jesus, you know, not only created us, but because he died for us, God has given all judgment over to Jesus. But any idea about um, us having some kind of legal right to come into to come into God's presence in prayer and and demand anything or anything like that, I don't see that as biblical at all. So, David, you ever heard of this? I, I have not. I'm not familiar with that specific teaching, Bob. Um, and I don't know if this will address what what you you're referring to. But I immediately, when I thought of heaven and access to God and God on His throne, uh, my mind couldn't help but go to, to Hebrews chapter four. Uh, verses 14 through 16. Uh, let me just read it real quick. It says, uh, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Uh, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, uh, but one who's in, been in, uh, who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And then listen to verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Uh, that, me, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so, again, I don't know if this, uh, Bob, gets a, directly what you were saying, uh, but Orthodox Christian teaching is that you and I uh, would not dare enter into God's presence on our own. You read scripture, whenever God appears to someone, I think of Isaiah, in the beginning of, of his book, he falls over like a dead man. He says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Uh, we can't enter God's presence by ourselves. However, because of what Christ did uh, through Christ, uh, we have we can actually have boldness and confidence uh, to enter into God's presence, knowing that we'll be accepted, knowing that our uh, prayers will be heard, uh, not because of any good goodness in us or any merit in us, but only through what Christ has did. So if there's any teaching uh, that would suggest anything contrary to that, uh, in my view, that would be very problematic and probably be heretical uh, if it's suggesting that there's any other way. You know, the, the one of Billy Graham's favorite verses was John 14, 6, where it says, I am the way, the truth and life. No man comes to the Father but by but through me. And so I think that's obviously uh, where Scripture uh, says uh, we to that's the route, the, the way uh, to have access to God is through his son, Jesus Christ. Yes, exactly. And, and and Bob, when you read Scripture, when you read the New Testament, especially concerning prayer, uh, you know, it, it, it's this idea of us coming to the Lord. And as David said, it's it's always through Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. But when we do come to him and, and we are, are, are praying, um, you, you know, we, we don't come into his presence with this uh, to me, I would call it arrogance. Okay, now there's a complete difference between what David just talked about from Hebrews four, that we come confidently um, through Christ before or, or to God uh, in prayer. We, we are to come boldly to the throne of grace, but not arrogantly. And I think any any teaching that says that because you know, because I've heard things like this, right? Because you know, um, we're a king's kid. 
um, you know, we're children of God, so therefore we have legal rights to this and this and this and to demand this from God and demand that from God. You know, I, I, I know um, I've been around believers, um, you know, in prayer meetings and praying with believers to where um, they, when they address God, they, they move away from praying and they move into telling what God what to do. You know, they're gonna they're gonna declare this, and I decree this, and I speak this, and and I think we're we're getting in dangerous territory when we do that because in the New Testament when we look at prayer, we always see it in the way of petition. We always see it in the way of us coming before the Lord, and and asking the Lord um, for what it is that we need, uh, not demanding it. Uh, we, we do come confidently. We we come in faith. We come expecting that he'll hear us. In fact, John said in 1 John chapter 5 that if we pray anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, then we know we have those petitions that we've asked. But again, that's the, that's the issue. We, we come to the Lord humbly because he has everything we need, and we are so desperately dependent upon him. And I think any teaching that, that, that lends to any kind of thing like you know, heaven, heaven's a you know some kind of a court where you have a right to come in and plead your case and and demand this or that. I think we got to be careful with that. Now, again, like I said, the terminology, the terminology of God being a judge and Jesus being our advocate, you know, which some people would say that means a lawyer. Uh, yeah, okay, that's that's true, um, but we don't want to take anything like that too far in in making it. A thing to where we somehow obligate God to do what we want uh, because of something legal. If if that touches a little bit about what you're asking, so d- does that help out at all, Bob? Very much. Thank you very much. I, I agree with what you said. Good. Well, Bob, thanks for your question. I'm glad we were able to kind of help you out a little bit there with that. And if you would hang on the line, and folks at CSN have some gifts for you, uh, some books and DVDs. And let's go ahead and go now to Stephen. Stephen's in Denver, Colorado. Stephen, welcome to the program. Hey, uh, thanks, guys. Good to talk to you guys. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you. Um, hey, the question I had um, is First uh, Corinthians. I was just reading through it today. Um, and specifically on verse 10, uh, chapter 11, verse 10. And before that, it speaks of uh, men and women covering their heads and you know, men shouldn't be covering their heads the glory of God. Women should cover, you know, but specifically on 10 where it says, hey, it is, you know, up for a woman ought to have the own authority over her head, if not because of the angels. What does that mean? Well, you know what? That is a very good question, Stephen, and there are lots of opinions on this. So, David, what do you, what do you think Paul's getting to here in verse 10 when he talks about the woman ought to have her head covered because of the angels. Yeah, great question, Stephen. And so for anyone not familiar with this passage in 1 Corinthians 11, it's um, Paul's making, it's right before the more well-known verses on the Lord's Supper. And he says um, in verse 10, that is why, why well, let me go back a little bit. He says um, from, in verse 7, for a man ought not to cover his head since he's the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man, for man was not made from woman, but woman from man. So some language there talking about the creation order. Um, Then verse 9, neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. 
Um, and that word angels could also just mean messengers. Uh, that's the gr- Greek word for angels or, or, or messengers. Um, Stephen, I'm probably going to disappoint you a little bit. Um, there's a lot of speculation about this verse. Um, and so anyone that would be dogmatic on what it means, um, I would take that with a grain of salt. I think it's uh, what we need to realize is that obviously um, Paul, all of his letters, these epistles, he's writing them to specific churches. And so clearly what was happening at Corinth, uh, there was something specific uh, to that situation um, at that church. Uh, so again, it's, it's tied to this specific historical situation. So whatever Paul is getting at here, we need to be very careful about universalizing this, um, to, to, to some sort of general rule of thumb, uh, be, because, uh, frankly, there are so many different interpretations. I think, uh, when I read this passage and, and seminary professors who I have heard talk about this, this text right here, uh, clearly they're saying uh, what, what they would argue is that clearly Paul's argument is uh, he, he's making an argument about creation order, um, uh, about man and woman, both created in God's image. The woman was taken out of Adam's rib. Um, but when it says specifically in the end of verse 10, because of the angels, yeah, likely Paul's possibly making some statement uh, about authority, uh, that there is ordered authority. In, in this world, um, and that, that you have the angels uh, that are part of that authority in, in some direction. Um, but I, I think Pastor Scott, I'll have to take it, t- turn it back over to you because as far as specific interpretations, there's, there's quite a few. And I am leery of being dogmatic on any of them. This is where I do think, uh, some theological humility. Uh, is required. But and one one thing before I uh, turn it back to you, Scott, is I will say it's worth noting uh, that no major doctrine of the Christian faith is rooted on this. I think earlier in the show we were talking uh, with a caller about uh, the, the the verse in Jude about the assumption of Moses and his body and how that's kind of a confusing text. And I think there's a place to to dive deep into to what uh, the great teachers throughout church history have said on these passages. Uh, but for anyone who hears these conversations and thinks, wow, the Bible must be really confusing, um, there are no great doctrines of the Christian faith uh, that, that are rooted um, in some of these verses where there's a wide array of opinion. And so I think that just needs to be said kind of in a conversation like this. I agree 100%, David. And like I said uh, at the beginning of the question, there's a lot of opinions about what Paul was getting to here. One of them being, of course, what you just brought up, uh, because you know what Paul's doing there in First Corinthians 11 is he's using something that was cultural, uh, you know, among the Corinthians, um, and specifically, you know, wearing head coverings, women wearing head coverings. He was using that. Not as a te- this isn't a teaching on head coverings. It's a teaching on authority. It's a it's a teaching on God's order of authority, and uh, that's why it mentions you know God at the at, 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 at the, or the man's the head of the wife, um, and then Christ is the head of man and God's the head of Christ. It's it's a it's a teaching on God's order of authority as God has uh, set up um, authority structures, you know and. Uh, what's interesting, he's using these head coverings, this issue of head coverings, uh, as an illustration and an example uh, because a woman was to have her head covered. 
um, as as a sign of respect and that she's in authority to her husband and such. And that's what it's coming down to. The whole thing about the angels, you know, another one that I've heard, David, is is the fact that, um, you know, a woman ought to have her head covered. She ought to be under authority because when the believers gather together, uh, there's angels among us. That's a, that's another trans, or I shouldn't say translation. That's another uh, interpretation that some people have given the end of that verse as the fact that when we as believers gather together, that uh, a woman ought to be uh, in submission to her husband and under authority uh, in the church because when we gather together, the angels are there with us. So again, uh, you know, Stephen, we can't be dogmatic about it, and and to be dogmatic, as David said, is a little scary. So, um, but uh, but we. We do know, you know, I, I will say this, that that does kind of go back, David, to our other question about the body of Moses and, um, and, and Jude 3, what we were talking about, um, because, um, again, the issue there was rejecting authority. And it's interesting because, as it says, even Michael the archangel uh, would not bring a railing accusation against Satan. And the whole point there was, even Michael the archangel recognized, even though Satan is a fallen angel, he still has authority, he still has power, and that's why he said, the Lord rebuke you. That, that's, that was kind of the, the gist of what Jude was saying there in Jude 9. Uh, it went back to authority. It went back to this issue of authority. Uh, because again, in the Old Testament, as I mentioned a moment ago, uh, the word Elohim, or El, I'm sorry, Elohim, which is the same word that's used for one of the words that's used for God in the Old Testament, is also used sometimes to refer to angels, uh, and not meaning that they're gods at all. They're they're not, but just meaning that they're of a different order than mankind is. They're a higher order of what mankind is in the sense of their abilities and 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 such. And Satan was, of course, you know, a cherub and. So he had authority, and um, even as a fallen angel, you know, Jude tells us that that uh, Michael recognized that and even respected the authority that Satan had by saying, "The Lord rebuke you." And um, so it is interesting that uh, uh, that Paul brings up this whole issue of authority and does mention the angels. So, Stephen, I wish we could be more definitive on that. Hopefully, those opinions or those. <laughs> those suggestions may help you a little bit, I, I hope. Yeah, no, that was helpful. Thanks. I appreciate you guys always. Um, you can, can we ask yeah. Pastor Mike if what the possibility is of uh, putting a like a transmitter uh, CSN over in the, the, the Denver kind of metro area? Because we don't have CSN out here on the radio. Wow. Okay. Well, we can definitely do that. And, uh, before you hang up, please tell the uh, call screener there all about that and, and, and ask them that, you know. I know, you know, being, uh, you know, I've worked for CSN for years and still do to a certain degree. And I know it's all about uh, FCC giving you permission to do that. And I know CSN, if they had the means and, and were able, they would put a radio station wherever they can. So, David, thanks for being on with us today. We appreciate uh, you coming on and taking your time to be with us. And we want to say thank you to everyone for tuning in. We'll be back with you tomorrow for more To Every Man and Answer right here on CSN. To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. 
That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 